Monica and Jordan, workplace besties, giving you introspective realness and randomness that may literally get us fired one day. It's episode dos. We introduce you to how we met, but the core of who a person is, is their home and their definition of it. We met and so much of our friendship has been based on music. We love to talk in lyrics. We love sharing songs. Mm -hmm. And Monica really put me on to Afrobeat, specifically Burna Boy. So we talked in our last episode about putting together a work meeting in the HR team and how it was all about playlists and telling more about our vulnerabilities and who we are. And so the song she chose to open with was wonderful. Love that song. So good. So good. And I think what I loved about it is, is that even though I didn't necessarily understand everything that he was saying, it just talks about the power of music, how even not understanding the word, it's something about what overcomes you, like the feeling of it. Mm -hmm. Like you understand it on almost like a spiritual level. So I didn't need to know what he was saying even though you translated some I of did. it thank you I did. <laughs> but that made it really really important and so during that time when we we're sharing music we're also living through COVID and we're trying to figure out what our life should be right like are we actually living in a really authentic way are we happy and home like who is it where is it what should we be doing differently? So does home have to be somewhere that you've lived your whole life? Absolutely. And that's what the song Wonderful is about. If you ever listen to the chorus, Burner Boy is really talking about home, right? And home for him is like, you know, where his mom is and things of that nature. And so it really got us to thinking like, what does home mean for us? And I think during COVID, everybody was trying to figure out, I feel like everybody was rethinking life, including us. And we were rethinking life. Um, and it was just like, home at that point with everything that was going on is supposed to be safety it's supposed to equate to safety where you feel you can truly be yourself let your hair down all of those things um and what are you willing to sacrifice for it i know that so i mean i feel like it's important that people understand kind of how we are who we are and i think the biggest part of that is how we start off our lives like neither one of us is technically like born and raised in the u.s right nope. so i was born in germany uh, my dad was in the army and i came to the u.s at two years old and so we lived in raleigh north carolina for several years and for me it was kind of this starting foundation of trying to figure out like my roots and and where I belonged and um, something that you and I an, an instantly and initially connected over was just our families and mm -hmm. them really being our starting point point. who we felt most connected to even if nothing else made sense even so. though our family dynamics are so different like you being the only child and me being the oldest of four it, it's so different but I think that connection was still there from the beginning Right. And I think that it's different, but it's not right. Like, so you'll get into like what it means to be like from immigrant culture, what it means to be like for me, African-American culture and these aspirations your parents have for you, how they want you to get a good job and live mm -hmm. a certain type of lifestyle. But I always appreciated that for me and my parents, it was like the three musketeers. It was kind of like us against everybody else. And 
you know, while it was hard for us to pick up and leave North Carolina because my parents really wanted to provide a better life for themselves and for me, um, I think that kind of set me on the path of being comfortable being uncomfortable, right? So I think a lot of people, they grew up in the same house, in the same neighborhood, they went to the same grade school, high school, so their world is very stable. And I never really had that experience. I was always the new kid, right? So kindergarten, then went to a different first grade, then went to a different second grade, fifth grade, high school, so I was always starting over. So I think that tells so much about who I am because I'm I feel like everybody deals with that differently like some people kind of burst into a room and take it over whereas I'm more likely to kind of sit and observe and figure out like where I fit in and who I would be accepted by so Mm -hmm. I feel like that's been more of like coping with who I am and how do I fit in different places. And I think the irony is that as a kid, I always assumed that, you know, when I get to be a grown up, I'm never, I'm going to like settle down in one city. I'm never moving. I'm just going to have this certain kind of lifestyle because I never want to keep having this feeling where I don't know people. I'm always having to be so vulnerable and hope that people around me accept me for who I actually am, not who they think I should be. And then you moved all over the place. I did. All of the place. <laughs> I did. But I also feel like I had to, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that what I didn't understand in like my early 20s, right? So my parents moved us from North Carolina to Indiana, specifically Indianapolis. Because that's where my maternal family is from. So we moved there. The cost of living is much lower. I got to actually build a relationship with my grandparents, which I'm forever thankful for. Um, But I also knew at a point in time that I had sort of outgrown um, that town. And Indianapolis is a great place. Like, I'm not, that's, that's no shade. But I think that I needed to get away from that. I needed to get from underneath even my parents because there can be a point in time where you live, you try to live in a very small and safe way. And I think I was forced out of that because even trying to take very small risks or no risks, I just failed so often that there comes a point in time you're like, I can't do any worse. So now it kind of gives you that courage to do something much bigger because it's like, what else do I have to lose? At that point, nothing. So that was the first big move that I ever made on my own from Indianapolis to Chicago found a job, interviewed with the vice president of human resources at um, an agricultural company, got the job. And she literally said, can you move here in two weeks? Didn't know a single person, was living in a hotel um, for a month when I got there. And it was the scariest thing, but also the first time in my life that I didn't have a regret. I wasn't I wasn't scared like I usually would be, mm-hmm. like questioning myself. It was the first time I really felt like, it's almost like, instinctively I knew I was doing what I was you know I was supposed to be doing like I had this feeling that I was like on the right path right like you know millennials love astrology I'm not going to say that it was because my because my moon was in ascendant I'm not going to say something like that right like (laughs) but you want to I I I do feel like it had to do with my natal chart my natal chart is very much aligned with me making a series of geographical moves and being very aligned with being an explorer. Like, that's naturally who I am. I'm very curious about everything. But I needed to see other things to figure out who I was. So that definitely made a lot of sense for me um, to be able to move to Chicago and have a different lifestyle. So that's what I had to do. And so home became 
Chicago and in many ways still is because it's where I grew up is where I gained a lot of confidence is where I knew I could do hard things which I feel like is something people are going to hear me say like a million more times Mm, that's so interesting I mean I think when I look back and and you mentioned it that we're both immigrants we weren't from the U.S. like I was born in Nigeria green white green all day um, but came to the U.S. when I was three so we came at about the same age um, and grew up in Staten Island out of all the random places that my parents chose. It was Staten Island. But I rep Staten Island hard. So shout out to all my Shaolin people, Wu-Tang all day, every day. Wow. I'm going to rep hard all the time. I will be the only one screaming at every party. If you know me, you know this. Period. Anywho. But grew up in Staten Island. And, you know, I was I was here at a time when it wasn't cool to be Nigerian. It wasn't cool to be African. Right. Like it was it was jokes. You were the butt of everybody's jokes, whether you were being called African booty scratcher and whatnot. But trying to learn to be comfortable in your own skin when the people around you are not accepting of you or make Mm -hmm. fun of you is just super hard. And I think when you're at a young age, what you're craving for is acceptance. You just want to belong. You want to belong. You You want people to see you. Right. It's cool now to be like, I'm just myself and I'm going to live my truth. Mm -hmm. We say that now in 2022 and, you know, in Beyonce's 2022, we're saying, I just want to live my truth. Renaissance part one. But in the nineties, it it wasn't like that. that. No, absolutely not. And so I think for me, you know, I was kind of like the experiment for my parents as well. Like this was the first child that they're bringing to the United States. And, They're trying to raise me up in the Nigerian culture, but I'm in America. So there's American culture that's being synced in. And I'm Mm -hmm. trying to toggle between both worlds as effectively as I can Mm -hmm. with no guidebook and no older sibling to try and help me out and figure out what's Mm -hmm. cool and what's not cool. It just becomes super hard. Um, And so that was really my life, really trying to define and be okay with who I was at a time where it wasn't cool to be who you were. And they really wanted me, they have expectations, right? Like Nigerian culture is really about, I want to say exceptionalism. You know, if you came back with a 98 and you didn't get a hundred, it's like, where are the other two points? You need to be exceptional. Did the people that got a hundred, did they have two heads? Like all of the things, all of the quotes. And that just gets put into your mind that you just have to be the best at everything that you want to do. And I know that it's not just in my culture, but that's really just how I was raised. And so all of it was doing stuff to please your parents. You want to bring... Um, joy to your parents. You want them to be able to gloat about you when they go to church in their big gillies, which are head ties or headwear that they wear, to be able to say, oh, my child, you know, is A plus and, and, and she went to Harvard or all of these They're things. They're a doctor. They're a doctor, a lawyer. I'm none of these things. Um, doctor, lawyer, those are the things that they've respected and that's what they expected of you. And so that was drilled in my head for so long. But I feel like I've always been slightly a rebel. I never wanted to just partake in what it was meant to be to be a Nigerian woman. So my mom was always in the kitchen. I tried to do everything in my power not to be in that kitchen with her. I wanted to go into the garage and help my dad. I wanted to do schoolwork. Just everything outside of that. I didn't want to wear the pretty little dresses that she had me wear. I mean, she was not... I just was not the daughter that she probably envisioned for herself. I didn't want any of that. Put my hair in cornrows with the headband and I want to play basketball with like all the boys. It just was not, you know, they they said, how are you going to get married if you don't know how to cook? I'm like, I'm going to marry a chef. The answer that they didn't want. I slightly did marry a chef because if Leighton wasn't a dentist, I think he would have been a chef. He does love to cook. I I cook begrudgingly begrudgingly. I love that. But it was just like, no, I'm not going to just conform to everything that you wanted me to do. 
Um, and I think that's hard. It's hard. Like when you try to stand alone, it can be very lonely. I did do some stuff that made them super happy, which was go to college, graduate early, all of that other stuff. But then at the point where I started making my own money, it was like, oh, I'm out your house now, <laughs> which was a, a cultural no-no as well. Getting my own apartment, even though we left, we lived in the same borough. Getting my own apartment was a cultural no-no. And then deciding who I was going to marry. Like, for me, that was that first step of independence, of defining who I was um, without the cultural norms. And that was that was me stepping into my own. I think that's so interesting that as you're talking about, like, the kid that you were and how you really wanted, knew that you needed to be yourself, I feel like there was a conversation we were having where you said, I need to be myself or I will die. Mm. And that sounds so dramatic in the retelling, but I can understand that on a visceral level. Like, when you're not living in a way that feels attuned to who you are, then you're constantly in this in-between space and you're unsure of yourself and it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel feel the way that you need it to to thrive right because everybody's talking about just getting through the day just surviving and it's like we get to a point where we're like I, that's not enough anymore like I need to actually thrive and I need to know that who I actually am is good enough for you and that you'll celebrate that person yeah and so I feel like it takes everybody kind of has to work their way up right so when I think about that overlap of like what did it take for me to get to a place where I was willing to do hard things or willing to risk it is a lead up of trying to please my parents, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I, I never had that rebellious streak, not really. Or if I did, it was maybe for a couple of months. And then I was like, what do y'all want me to do? I'm just going to do that, <laughs> right? Like, because you also yeah. don't want to disappoint them. Yeah. You don't want them to feel like I've, you know, done so much for you and you're blowing it, yeah. right? So for me, it was like, this is the prep school we want you to go to. So you go there, you get A's, you volunteer, you give your time, you do all these things. And I appreciate that, right? Like, I think that was a very solid foundation for me. But even college, like, that was when I started to have those first regrets because people tell you who they think you are. It's like, you don't want to go to an HBCU because, you know, you're not from a wealthy family, so you're not going to have that experience. And you're not, you know, gully enough to get with the other people so Mm. you're probably gonna be an outcast right like you're you have this image of your head of acceptance and belonging and that's gonna be a community and it's probably gonna hurt your feelings because you're gonna get there and you're not gonna click right go to the private school you know it's a lot of that go to places where you're the one of few Mm -hmm. right where you truly are you know, a minority because you're going to get this really sterling education and, you know, it's going to be well respected. And so I did do all those things, but I feel like those are the years where I had the most regrets because I didn't push hard enough to say, but instinctively, I know this isn't the place for me. Going to a college where you had, you know, where I specifically had instructors who were not were not supportive or who, you know, made it very clear who belonged and who didn't, who Mm -hmm. made fun of students who had accents or come from different places. And so not feeling like you belonged or like people really saw you for who you were, I think was super troubling. And so I think that just continued down a path. I mean, even, you know, being pre-dentistry, that was my parents thinking you'll get, you know, you'll make six figures and you'll be Dr. McManus and it's going to be amazing. And I cried in every biology class, every chemistry class. Like it was, I was miserable. I feel like every biology student cries. Seriously. I feel like Layton probably cried too when I met him in Stony Brook University. I think, I feel like all of the science students cried. But to your point, it's like, are you crying because it's hard or are you crying because it's hard and this is not what I want to do? 
I feel like it's the latter, right? It's it's hard, but I think when you're doing something that's hard, but you believe in it so much, yeah, you can kind of fight through because there are these moments of uplift. But when you're doing it, and you know you have professors that are like, I don't think this is your bag, right? Mm-hmm. And it was tough too because I was used to always getting like A's, and my mom would try to say, she's like, what do you think they call the person? I still remember her saying, this, what do they call the person who graduates last in their class in medical school? And I was like, I don't know. She goes to doctor, doctor. and so I didn't have, <laughs> but I didn't have that and she still brings that up all the time she's like you know you have always been this kid that wants to get everything right she goes and I she's like I feel like that's why some things are so much harder for you she's like because I cried my way through piano lessons violin everything right because if I couldn't get it exactly right I just didn't want to do it my kindergarten report card said Jordan gets very frustrated if things aren't perfect like this is who I've always been and I sound like my son it's 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 not something I think was even taught to me. It's just part of who I am. But I think fortunately for me, I had a family who eventually realized that I need to be myself. So I switched majors, you know, and I could just kind of start finding my way through. But I think the challenge is, is that I still had these very ingrained ideas of what like a good daughter is. Like I should get married to my college sweetheart. We should buy a bungalow. Um, I should have, you know, four kids they should all go to the same private school as I did like I had these like very set ideas and I think it took for me to like not be able to do any of those things for my life to not track in that way yes at the time I felt like a failure because I wasn't doing the things that successful women do or that you know I think my parents or other people wanted for me but I think that set me up to start saying well if this isn't the path for me then what is so so interesting because I feel like for me it was completely different I never envisioned the husband or the house or the kids or any of that stuff. Like that wasn't, I was more focused on the corner office more than anything. Mm. So I went to, and and financial independence was key for Mm. me. I just did, I wanted to be able to make my own decisions. So I went to school for finance. And like I said, I did graduate early and was able to start making money right away. But the way I was able to kind of reflect who I was or who I was becoming was in other things. So I went natural in corporate America, like in 2008, 2009, which was taboo to do. It wasn't just, I don't think anybody was actually natural at that time. Right. Um, And so that was something of me speaking about who I am and just letting that be free. And I actually had like an intern come up to me during that time and just say, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm figuring this out. I had bad hair days, good hair days and all the stuff in between. But I really just wanted to be who I was and not fully always be somebody else or have somebody else's hair on me. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good wig. You absolutely do. And some good wig um, weave. I have some in right now. But I really wanted to be who I was. Um, and so that was the first step. And as I mentioned, just marrying my husband was step number two for me. He is Jamaican. Shout out to all my jam rock people out there. Um, bullet, bullet. Um, but anywho, he was Jamaican and that was different from my family. It really was. It was like, it was the first woman that they knew culturally in the, in the Nigerian culture that we grew up in that was um, going to marry somebody outside of the Nigerian Yoruba tribe culture. Very specific. Very, very specific. But I had to decide, I'm going to I'm gonna be the one that's going to be waking up with this person every day. Mm. I'm going to be the one that has to live with the decisions that I make. 
conforming to others is not going to help me, whether they're here or that they pass along. I still have to be with those decisions. Um, and now they love him more than they love me. Like, I just, you know, they thought they weren't going to get the cultural things. They thought they weren't going to get the cultural wedding. They got all of that. And he totally embraced who I was. Mm-hmm. The Nigerian side of it, the comedic side of it, the hood side of things, like just all of who I was. I was able to truly be myself and what let my gift. guard down. It is a gift. And for me, that's where home is. Like, home is with him. It really is with him. It's truly who I get to be and who I'm becoming and never be ashamed of that. Um, and that is so special. And I, that, that is the best decision I ever made. I don't even tear up. Y'all got me tearing up a little bit out here in these streets. Um, <laughs> thug tears. Thug tears. Thug tears. <laughs> got to hold it in. Um, but he really, he really does make me feel safe. And that is something that I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change for the world. And it's the best decision that I ever made. And I feel like that is, that's the goal. And that's what you're saying. Like, is it a person? Is it a place? And I feel like, you know, it goes back to us talking about, like, when you talk about home, it's it's this feeling. It's something that sometimes it's hard to even articulate. So you found that in a person. I feel like for those of us who are still searching, you're having to find it in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I love a good inspirational quote. I go to therapy. I do all the things. But I think it's this ongoing Um, I don't want to say battle because I don't want to give it like a negative tinge, but it is that it's saying like, not only do I like myself, but I love myself and I'm okay with who I am. And like, I need to invest as much as I possibly can into the person I want to be because I'm not looking for my other half. I'm looking for another whole person Mm -hmm. that I can build a life with. But I think that I'm having, I'm being forced to really contend with all the good and the not so good parts of myself and just be as self as aware as I can be and just living on my own terms. Right. And so I feel like that's even been a roller coaster because living in New York was a big dream of mine, right? Not from the very beginning because I don't, I think I dreamed very small. I told you that. And I'm, this is not a knock to anybody who dreams of being a mother or a wife. It's simply saying, you talked about the corner office and experiences you wanted to have. When I think back, I, I knew I wanted to go to college. I, it never even entered into my mind, like, what job was I going to have to support myself? Like, how was I going to pay the mortgage on this mm-hmm. bungalow that I wanted to buy? I didn't think that far, and it never occurred to me, like, how was I going to grow up and become a full enough person to be in these meaningful relationships? Like, how would I be enough of a person to have a healthy family dynamic if I really wanted to create that? So I feel like in a lot of ways, it was probably for the best that I didn't, you know, settle down at that time because I really didn't know anything about myself and I needed to see more and experience more. And that's like an ongoing journey. So leaving New York, I went back home, lived with my parents and became their house manager, right? Like organizing things, shopping for them, <laughs> cooking for them. What is for dinner? I don't want X again. You know, my favorite is X, Y, Z. But I loved that because I think the pandemic took so much from us. But I am eternally grateful that I got to spend those, I think it was nine months with my parents because mm, when you think about it as an adult, you might spend a long weekend. You might spend Christmas with mm-hmm. them or Thanksgiving. But when you add up all that time, you're talking a handful of days per year that you really get to see them in fellowship and spend time. So the fact that I got to see them day in and day out, good days, bad days, um, doing random, you know, things together, like just kind of laughing and and being playful. 
Um, it was probably like one of the most meaningful experiences I've had in years. And it was setting me up to kind of realize one of the biggest dreams I've ever had for myself, which is moving back to North Carolina, you know, buying a home, having those assets and finally getting buying a compound to be clear a town home um, that I could make my own and make it you know, this safe place, this refuge for myself. Um, and for the first time, not be doing it with the intent of moving on somewhere else in 18 months or 24 yeah. months, right? Because when you're always kind of in and out of a city, I've lived in Chicago, I've lived outside of London, I've lived in New York, you know, I've lived in Amish country. When you're always thinking about the next place or the next move, you're Absolutely. never really in the moment. You're never enjoying what you are going through at that time. You're so focused on a checklist or what else you need to do yeah. to get ahead. And so this is the first time I've ever, I have to calm myself down all the time and be like, there's no need to rush. You're not going anywhere. Like this is where you're going to be. And so I feel like that is even a comfort sometimes when I'm very anxious or very afraid is like to say you have you have time to figure this out, to make friend groups, to keep figuring out who you are as a person. So I think home is we're describing in the same way, but we're experiencing it a different way in this very moment. Absolutely. And I think the fact of the matter is we both kind of moved out of New York at the same time. Within weeks <laughs> of each other. Within <laughs> weeks of each other. We left. I think everybody left New York. But I think even though I mentioned home as being you know, latent and being with him, I think there was different definitions of me. Like, I think there's different parts of home, right? So I grew up in New York. I moved to Nashville, as I mentioned, when Leighton started dental school. And I think there is when I started learning boundaries, learning the classic word, no. And it was so freeing. And it's easy to do when you live states away from like your old life. Mm -hmm. So the expectations change, but it was so freeing. But to come back to New York and almost have people have the expectation of picking up your old life mm. when you've become somebody completely new. I don't know her. Yeah, it's like, I don't know her anymore. Mm -hmm. I mourned for her. Mm -hmm. I mourned for her. She's over. But they expected that of me to pick up and still have that life. And I had two kids in tow as well. And it started becoming a little suffocating to me. It didn't feel like, coming back to New York did not feel like home. It wasn't a home, um, what do you call it? What's that word? A homecoming. It wasn't yeah. a homecoming for me. Um, I felt like it was a bid. I did a bid. You did a hardship tour. That's I what the did. army calls it. <laughs> I did a bid in New York. And I don't think it was for us. I think there were so many beautiful things that came out of that in terms of bringing our families together. And our kids were at an age where, you know, they got to know their grandparents, their aunts and their uncles. We, we did all of that. And there was so much happening in my family that we were able to be a part of. But it wasn't for us. And it never felt like home. Um, and, and part of us, I mean, my husband doesn't run like that, but the test is, do you feel comfortable running in your neighborhood mm. and our neighborhood in Staten Island it's did not, yeah, it did not meet, it did not meet that, um, that criteria at all. So it didn't feel like home because we didn't feel comfortable in it. It didn't feel like home because we felt like we had expectations put upon us. It didn't feel like home because I started to feel suffocated again. And we really had to, to your point, decide what home was going to be and where we were going to build that life. And we decided to, to move to Dallas. I feel like what's really interesting about that is the experience that we both had when we decided we wanted to move to the South. We wanted to move places that we either had never been or hadn't been since we were small children. And we kept getting this, well, why are you moving there? And who do you know? And it felt like this test that people were trying to put us through, like the paces of, well, why would you do that? And mm -hmm. New York is the best city on earth and you have higher earning potential. And it was the aesthetics of how it looked. But it's like we had gotten to a point where we're like, I need to do something different and be somewhere different. And so I feel like what was really powerful, what you said, and I remember 
remember you saying this and it, you're like, it stops people dead in their track. They're like, well, why are you moving to Dallas? You're like, because that's where my soul's going to be at peace. Mm-hmm. And Amen. I was like, Question. what? No more questions. <laughs> right. Like shut dropped. it down. And so I felt, <laughs> but I felt like that was also a beautiful thing to say because it wasn't just about like, oh, I can have a bigger house there or my kids can go to the top school. All those things came with it, but it was also like, who are you? Who is late and who are you together? And what kind of lifestyle and like what kind of experiences do you want to have um, and not have to be beholden to what somebody else's expectations were of you? Ooh. And I feel like just you can love your family, but need to live apart from them and need to be your own person. That's a word. And so for me, that's hard because I'm actively trying to get my parents to <laughs> me, right? Yeah. Like, because I feel stronger when they're they're nearby and I feel safer when they're nearby, but I understand they're kind of on their own journey. They're yeah. trying to figure out retirement and, and all of those things. So home for them is still in Indianapolis, but I feel like we're now on the downturn. I'm like, my mom and I have the same finance manager and he told her the other day, he says six years, right? So in six years, she's going to retire. I'm really excited about that because I, I'm imagining that it's going to be kind of coming full circle and they want to come back to the Carolinas, you know, if the world hasn't ended by then so that we can be back together. <laughs> and I'm excited by that idea of being able to spend the holidays and hopefully like, you know, kind of re-knitting our family. I feel like, you know... There has been traumas. There has been things that have happened that have separated um, many of us within our own family units. And so mm-hmm. everybody's kind of doing their own thing. But it's always been a dream of mine. In addition to having a home, having an asset, having it be a, a place that's filled with laughter and you know kindness and friendship and fellowship and wanting to bring that back together because it's been so long since I think many of us have truly experienced that. So I feel like that's the next piece that I want to experience and that I want to be able to create. Home for me is just being with Layton, being with my boys. It's just me and my fellas. Aaron and Zachary, love you. But that that's the start of home for me, being with my family as well. Love my siblings, love my parents. Um, but that's home. I think home is a little different. Like I feel like I'm having to make myself my home because I'm having to understand who I want to be and how I want to show up. And I think I have to forgive myself almost on a daily basis for, you know, the fear, for the terror, for all of the second guesses, for that this isn't good enough, I'm not good enough. So I think that I'm having to make myself my home. I mean, I feel like when we started talking about this episode, it kind of started with this idea of like, what would, what would our young selves, what would like the young us think of the who we us. are now, right? And yeah. I feel like, I feel like younger me would be shocked because I think in so many ways my life is in no way what I thought it would be, but in some ways it's so much better because I would have never had the vision for my life to become what it is today. And that's not saying I've accomplished everything or that I'm the prototype. It's just saying that sometimes you can dream really small or think, you know, I'm just going to go about my everyday life and you never anticipate the risk that you're going to take and that it's going to have a bigger payoff, the people you're going to meet along the way. Um, And so I feel like it's so much better than I ever thought it would be. And I feel like it's also been about being intentional about the life, not sitting there waiting for things to happen to you, like going after it 
and getting it. And I think that's what's really put me in a different mind space. It's just being very intentional, setting intentions, giving myself a little bit more grace, even if I don't get it exactly right, um, or things are hard or that every day doesn't have to be dreamlike, right? Like it's not like just because you move to your dream home or your dream town that suddenly your life is going to be perfect. And I think that just understanding that and appreciating that about yourself, even on the hard days, it's like, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Like this is just life it's life life be life in and that sometimes i need to take a rest and there's no shame in taking rest there's no shame in like reaching out or like telling people the things that are going on and i feel like that's been the biggest change too that i've really been working through like as we become i mean we talk about on this like being work friends but i want to be very clear that we left work friends a long time ago and became actual real friends right like real life friends to where even if I'm not proud of something or something's hurtful to me, I can like call you and tell you about it, right? And and trust what you're going to say or that you'll just be like, I'm just going to listen to you. And like, even if I don't understand, I'm just going to listen because that's what I think you need right now. So I feel like that's been the biggest piece. It's like home is people to us. Mm. It's, it's all these different facets that are kind of coming together. So I just feel like I've been very appreciative. And sometimes you have to actually stop and think about all those things, um, especially because everything's on fire right now. It's it's easy to get trapped into it's all going to hell in a handbasket. But <laughs> there are still these sparkly moments, right, like where you're like very thankful for the people that you have. Um to have a home around you that you're making your own is a reflection of like all of your desires. It's it's so true. And it's funny that you said that you feel like that you can call me and you laugh about this, that Leighton sometimes might, might start to feel like there's a third person in our relationship. <laughs> but I feel like when something happens to me, he's like, well, did you tell Jordan? <laughs> but he's wanting me to tell Jordan. It's not in a bad way. He's like, no, go talk about it with her. Like leave me be and go talk about it with her because I know that you guys will come out of there and you'll feel better. And so I absolutely do think it's the people that you surround yourself with as well as the place that you call home or you're deciding to call home. Like home to me is wearing bright colors. Home to me is wearing bright lipstick. Home to me is singing songs. Home to me is all of the things. Home to me is me being me, period, nonstop. That that might be with people, that might be with myself, that might be um, in a different city state, but home to me is being me and anything that's going to allow me to do that. And I might not have figured out all those pieces of home yet because I'm still living, but that's what it is for me. I think if you're out there and you're trying to figure out what home is, think about the times that you lit up. That was so natural for you to truly mm-hmm. be who yourself. If it was singing, if it was, I don't know, riding a bike and that felt freeing to you, like think about those times and try to do more of that. Try to incorporate more of that into your life and lean in on that because that is starting to be the definition of what home is to you. And it might be people. If it's people that makes you thrive and live, then make sure that you're around those people. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. I don't know that I would add much more to that. I mean, I think what I was going to say is the unguarded moments. When you think back to when you didn't feel like you had to put on or you had to assume a character, you didn't have to try to fit in with somebody um, else. You could just truly be yourself at that moment. So I feel like, um, and it doesn't have to be something that's monetized. I feel like there's so much pressure mm-hmm. for everything to be monetized, oh, even something so that true. you enjoy. Like sometimes you can enjoy things and be bad at it and still get pleasure from it. And that's the only thing you get out of it is that it's just a moment or moments strung together where you feel a little bit free and you don't feel judged and you don't feel like you have to do more than just exist. And so I don't think that everything you enjoy has to be made into a business opportunity. It doesn't have to 
be something that's necessarily posted for other people to comment on or give you feedback on. I think it's it's okay to be quiet. It's okay to explore. It's okay to try different things. It's okay to keep searching for the things that make you feel most yourself. And to your point, if anybody out there is making life decisions and you feel like you have to answer to people who are doing the question asking, the mad question asking in the words of B-I-G, all you got to do is respond, my soul is at peace, mic dropped. Because at the end of the day, this is the life that you were given, right? You can't live it for everybody else. I'm not here to live life for man. As long as me and God are good, we good. Absolutely. I'm good. Absolutely. There is nothing sadder than seeing somebody towards the end of their life and all they have left is memories and regrets, right? So it's like, even if I made the mistakes, if I did it with everything I have, like I can, I can live with that. I can deal with that. But I think that it's important that at some point you start figuring out that you have absolutely nothing to lose by going after what you want, even if you don't get it exactly right. And so I feel like for us and for the people who are listening to us, like that doesn't mean that we figured it all out. Absolutely it just not. means that we see you. We we're all out here. We're all out here. All out here. But we're not taking permission to live the life that we live. We are we are making a conscious effort to your point, being intentional about it, um, and making decisions that will help us thrive, not what everybody thinks we should be doing to thrive. And I think that that is so key. So cheers to the good life. I know that's what's up. Mm-hmm.